This week on Theme Park Workshop, the podcast, we're talking about Disney Genie. It's still a mess, and we have some thoughts. And Mark Woodbury has been promoted to chairman and CEO of Universal Parks and Resorts. What does that mean for the future of Universal Orlando? Ooh, I'm wondering too. But after that, stay tuned because we're going into some IAPA announcements, some Destination D23 announcements, Guardians of the Galaxy, Galactic Star Cruiser, and even more than that. More than the Galactic Star Cruiser? Yeah, Jonathan Moore. Imagine. <laughs> so tighten your seatbelts. We're about to go into hyperspace because this is the park workshop. <laughs> <laughs> We'll go with it. We'll go with it. <laughs> there we go. All right. All right. Welcome back to Theme Park Workshop, the podcast. I'm Jonathan, and I'm here with Adam. Hi. That, you know, or we're eight episodes in. You'd think by now we would have the intro and the introductions down, but... You know, all all we can really manage is just, you know, hi. Yeah, intro, outro, day the podcast is released. It's all in flux. We're just getting started. Uh, we'll we'll figure out a, a system. I mean, we do have a system. I'm kind of underselling us. Like, I think Monday is our new episode day. The outro eventually will remember to put everything in there. But if not, you just go to the show notes. There's some cool stuff down there. Have fun with the descriptions. But there's also cool links uh spotify people i know you you've got the uh you got the special polls youtubers you got the comments uh exactly yeah yeah so this week we're just gonna dive right into the show and talk about some listener comments uh, as adam was saying you know we have the polls on spotify and y'all have some some stuff to say so adam what 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 do our listeners have to say so Again, to reiterate, and on Spotify mobile, and I emphasize mobile because for whatever reason, the desktop version doesn't quite have it yet. I'll put a poll and a question. And this is, you can find it on just about every episode we have up there. So the first question that people started answering was on episode three, what's the future of Jurassic World at Islands of Adventure? The question was, do you want more Jurassic World at Universal Orlando? And people said, yes, give us more Jurassic World. That's been the one person consensus. Thank you, one person for voting. I do appreciate that. I, I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, no. And then we had another, this one's a comment from episode five, top 10 attractions we avoid at all costs. This is also from Spotify. So as you may remember, Jonathan and I had different lists for what attractions we would prefer not to ride again. And so I asked every, I asked our listeners, who do you agree with most? And the, again, the one person who voted, voted bring back Balthasar Banshee. Uh, oh. I'm pretty sure that one person was Balthasar Banshee himself. But if you are a Balthasar Banshee stan, make sure you let him know, because I'm tired of hearing about it from him, how much he does not get the uh, attention he deserves. So go ahead and give him some love oh, on Twitter gets, at Disney Banshee. He gets plenty of attention. He does. But we also had a more in-depth comment you know the other one i had put that as an option as kind of a joke and people uh decide to play along with it and i appreciate that but we have a uh, reply from jurassic mouse 03 on spotify a jurassic mouse said that the attraction that they would not want to ride ever again is the magic carpets of aladdin at magic kingdom uh adventureland 
They said, Aladdin is my favorite Disney animated movie, but when there's another spinner in the park and even more of it being Dumbo, I see no reason to write it. And I believe that's kind of the consensus there. You know, that, that, you know, that kind of makes me rethink putting Astro Orbiter on there. I think Astro Orbiter I put on there because it was a capacity blunder. But mm. if you think about the spinning the, of the, the three spinning rides, you know, Aladdin is far less creative than Astro Orbiter. I think Astro Orbiter is just plagued by poor civil engineering. That's a that's a good point. I still stand by my Astro Orbiter just because I don't get sick on Aladdin. I also don't wait for Aladdin, so it's not a very strong opinion that I have. This is and uh, our last comment comes from our Poseidon's Fury episode, episode six, uh, part one of our Universal Relics series. I do hope to do more episodes in that series uh, before too long. I, I think it's a, a, an interesting and a fun one. Um, and this comes from my dad. I, the question was, uh, is Poseidon's Fury a cheesy leftover of a bygone era, or is it a cult classic that should be preserved? And he said, preserve it, as long as people keep enjoying it. A very diplomatic response. He said, just like the E.T. experience, neither is overly thrilling, but people like them, even the cheesy parts. And uh, if you listen to our episodes, you know, we definitely agree. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's been our listener responses. Uh, these polls are open until the end of the year. Um, because I figure our audience is going to grow and I don't want people to miss out because I had it open for a week. So go ahead, if you're listening to this, leave a comment down below. Uh, we might read it on the air. Uh, and, and same with, with Spotify. Answer those polls, give Balthasar some love, and uh, answer with responses. And we have the same for uh, just about every episode. And we'll have one for this episode too, if you look down below. Yeah, so the next thing we have on our agenda is we got to talk about this awesome documentary that was dropped on YouTube Defunct Land, Fast Pass, A Complicated History. Basically going into the history of Fast Pass, why it was brought around, and whether or not it was actually effective, all done with an incredible original score and animation. And just Kevin Perger did a wonderful job worth every second of the wait. And honestly can't praise it enough. I don't want to say anything else about it other than that uh, Disney be crazy. <laughs> It really is a, a fantastic video. Like if if this Twitter if theme park Twitter, if the theme park community ever had a holiday, I mean, I guess it technically is IAPA, but really it should be the day Defunct Land's Fast Pass documentary came out because I've not seen a community so celebrate something like this uh, ever. And it really does deserve it. And it's got universal appeal. My my uncle has he does, has no interest in theme parks whatsoever. Um, maybe he likes a roller coaster or two, but theme parks, yeah, he really enjoyed this documentary. He found it on it on his own. I didn't share it with him or, or anyone. And he, he sent it back to me saying, this is really interesting. So if you have not checked it out, I'll have a link in the show notes because it really is worth checking out. Absolutely. And also at IAPA, to kind of jump off what you were saying, there was a Legends panel of Thierry Koo, Phil Hameda, and Scott Trowbridge, all absolute legends for creating the amazing adventures of Spider-Man. I love this attraction. You love this attraction. Disney hates that it exists because it makes web slingers look like superstar limo. And Oof. that, you know, as the legends were talking about, they were like, you know, we cut scenes. We did these things for pacing, you know, all things that are so good to think about that 
you know, Disney doesn't think about unless Joe Rody or Scott Trowbridge are there because, you know, Scott actually worked on Galaxy's Edge. But perhaps the biggest reveal from this panel was the fact that when asked about their biggest mistake, Thierry Koo openly admitted that he should have stopped management from building Fast and Furious Supercharged, a rarity in the theme park world in which people with incredibly high profiles are told to not talk or to publicly decry any work that they've done for fear of being fired or let go. Um, these multi-million dollar attractions with actors and people who could be easily offended. But no, Terry is just out there saying, man, Fast and Furious Supercharged was a trash dumpster fire. Okay, that's not what he said. He was very diplomatic about it. If you listen to the <laughs> clip. <laughs> Because his boss is now the chairman and CEO of Universal uh, Parks and Resorts. <laughs> Someone asked him what his greatest regret was and professional regret was. And he said, letting them open it. He did say it was a good ride. Uh, it just wasn't what it should have been. And, but the funny part was the crowd of professionals. This isn't Comic-Con. This is a crowd of professionals. Erupted in thunderous applause at the uh, admission. <laughs> But uh, uh, of course, don't just listen to this panel just for that moment. Uh, it, as, as Jonathan was saying, it's really interesting. They go into kind of how they didn't know what they were doing as far as what their limits were. They're just like, well, let's try it. Uh, they were in a, you know, a, a, a warehouse in Burbank putting together this thing with the only goal of it being the best, most unique ride to open at that theme park. And I mean, 22 years later, uh, obviously, they succeeded, even with the little updates they made to the video. The base of the ride has stayed the same. Uh, so definitely go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. I don't want to spoil anymore. Absolutely. And the next thing on our agenda is that Disney Genie is a mess. It's bad. It's terrible. And Seth Kuberski wrote about it. Disney Genie, you know, there, it has many flaws. You, it, it, it claims that it can personalize your day. But the personalization is is limited to perhaps a restaurant maybe you say hey i like star wars disney disney genie plans your day and is like all right you're gonna go see voyage of the little mermaid and disney junior live on stage and you're gonna get lunch at docking bay seven and then after <laughs> lunch you're gonna go to the droid depot <laughs> so you know that's a great day for any star wars fan i know i would be pleased and, and disney genie is pleased with it I don't think anybody's fooled by it, or maybe they are. Maybe people are fooled. Maybe people come from out of town and think, I need to do what Genie recommends, and that's going to be what what the best Disney has to offer is. Um, and as everybody has been saying, that's going to ultimately come back to bite Disney in the butt because people are going to be like, oh, I thought Disney would be cooler than this, not this lame. You know, people who don't know the attractions don't necessarily speak English, just follow the Disney genie instructions, assuming that it is, you know, what what they assume it to be. Um, so in addition to the increased prices and everything else, you're going to have people coming away with less satisfactory experiences using Disney genie. And I, you know, a lot of people have said it's ultimately going to lead to, you know, the crash of Disney when Epic Universe opens and Disney falls flat on its face because they've just been cost cutting for so long. Yeah, and if you go in and read Seth Kabursi's article, and I, I love to shout him out, one, because he's uh, one of the best in the business that I know of anyway, uh, but he was also kind enough to offer a little bit of his time to our show two years ago. 
if you check out his article in Orlando Weekly, he shows four ways to stop it from really just draining the money out of you and really making it worth your while, if it's worth your while. And it seems it's, it's, it's weird. It's really like a thing you've got to work against to make it worth the most. So the free version I've heard is absolutely useless. And I watched another um, vlog from the Diz. Craig Williams over at the Diz wanted to do his day, according to Disney Genie, as an experiment. And it didn't quite work out for him the way he wanted. As, as Seth says, the wait times are not always correct. And it doesn't really fit in with what you want your experience to be. Like the line for Haunted Mansion was just out to out past the riverboat or something like that. It's like, this is the best thing to do right now. I said, no, it's it's really not. I don't want to do this. And he got the most out of his day by going against Disney Genie. And even then, just trying to work around this busy day, it just ended up not being a happy affair at all. The paid version I've heard is somewhat better because it comes with the lightning lanes if you pay $15. And of course, the individual lightning lanes. It's annoying that you have to pay for it, but I've not heard anyone say, oh yeah, that was the worst. It's mostly like, oh yeah, I didn't have to worry about the virtual line for Ratatouille. Or I didn't have to wait three hours for this one thing. I didn't have to melt in Slinky Dog Dash. So it's a bit of a bummer that Touring Plans, an independent uh, organization or an independent app and subscription has done years better than this system, but maybe it's because they're doing it tiered. That's not where, I don't know. I don't know. I'm less inclined to try it when I go to Disney again uh, and just kind of. You know, you know what, what Disney Genie works for, and I think a little bit of this is in the Fast Pass documentary, is that Disney is really trying to cater to the once in a lifetime Disney visit, the, the big visit that you save up a ton of money for and you're willing to pay anything to make sure that you get to do everything that you want to do while you're at Disney World. And with Fast Pass, it was more equal opportunity and it was also harder for the people who were doing their once in a lifetime trips to take advantage of Fast Pass because they needed somebody to explain it to them. They needed to be prepared 60 days in advance for a 6 a.m. drop of, you know, Fast Passes. And so you had all these like the fast pass system did not serve the out of towners extremely well. Um, and neither did boarding groups or any of those other things. Um, and so what, what Disney genie has done is it basically says, Hey, guess what? We're going to take away this thing that's causing so much problems for out of towners, which is fast pass. And we're just going to make it so that you can buy it. And now, guess what? You get here day of, you're confused, you got to the park two hours late, your family's running behind, hey, just pay us, you know, a little extra money per person, and now your whole family can get on Rise of the Resistance today versus having to pay to come back an entire extra day to ride Rise of the Resistance because they had a two-hour line or it was broken down or they reinstated boarding groups or whatever may happen. So moving on, we're going back to Universal Studios, and there's actually some big, 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 big news here. And Jonathan, I know you were very excited about this, so I'll, I'll run down the story and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you because I feel like you've got more thoughts on this than I do, uh, although I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, but Mark Woodbury has been promoted from vice chairman to chairman and CEO of Universal Parks and Resorts, 
Tom Williams, the current chairman and CEO, he is retiring in March. So this is a pretty big shakeup. And uh, it's not just because there's a shift in the company, although every time there's a shift in a company like, like Disney or Universal Parks, it's kind of a big deal, uh, as we saw with Chapik and Josh Damaro and, and uh, Bob Iger and all those folks. So here's a little, little background. Tom Williams was part of the team that opened Universal Studios Florida before transitioning to park president when the Universal Studios Park became a resort in 1999, his position expanded as did that canvas, transforming the theme park venture from a studio park that could in 1990 to the sprawling vision it is today uh, with resorts all around the world. And Mark Woodbury, he's led plan and design strategy as vice chairman around the world, as well as serving as universal creative president. And because of that, through that, he's been a major figure for just about every attraction. If you go and watch old Universal Studios Islands of Adventure footage, like those Travel Channel documentaries, you'll see him, you know, very calmly hyping up the rides like, yeah, we've got the Dueling Dragons. It's a great, great time. I think you're going to like it. Uh, and of course, plans a lot more than that little uh, improv I just did. But yeah, this is pretty big. Um, Mark Woodbury is a really well-respected name in the theme park community. From what I understand, I, I have not heard anything bad about him. Again, I don't have my ear to the ground like someone like Seth Kaberski or any of those folks might. But I mean, when I heard Mark Woodbury's being promoted, I'm like, oh, I know that name. I I get excited when I see him in videos. Just, you know, kind of the the persona he gives off, this is pretty great. But Jonathan, what were you thinking when, because I know you were very excited when this was announced. Absolutely. You know, I I've, I've grown up, you know, watching these Travel Channel documentaries, you know, seeing Mark Woodbury and all the projects that he's worked on and led, and he's just super creative. He's, you know, he often works with Terry Koo, who we talked about earlier, um, as, you know, they worked as creative partners in crime to bring so many of our favorite attractions to life. And, you know, you do, you do see, like, like he's just a very personable person, he, he, you know, he has personality. He's comfortable in front of the camera and creative is where he comes from. He's creative first, business person second. And, you know, as, as being president of Universal Creative, I think what a lot of people are pointing out is that moving to CEO of Universal Parks and Resorts is what Comcast is doing is a very different strategy than what Disney is doing, where Disney is promoting um, Bob Chapek who came from basically products and experiences um, and like retail. His, his background is very much in merchandising retail. You know, Bob Chapek has never touched a creative project in his life. And he's the one who's approving the budgets, who's saying, imagineering to do this, work on this, approve this, et cetera. Um, whereas, Mark Woodbury, you know, he's been very hands-on in the creative design and development of entire theme parks, you know, leading them creatively, where his main job is to, you know, make sure the creative choices are correct. And now he's the one in charge of Universal Parks and Resorts. And you combine that with Comcast's strategy, which appears to be, we'll invest in these parks as, as much as y'all can create creative stuff to get a new attraction a year as long as we keep seeing the return and as long as corporate synergy remains high. And I do think that's interesting that the universal parks have a very, because they are, they have to license certain franchises for use and um, their parks just have a very different structure than Disney where Disney, 
you know, the Disney parks are just Disney properties and that's it. Whereas with Comcast, because Comcast is so big and has so many different divisions, you know, opening something like the Today Cafe in Universal Studios, Florida, well, it's a small thing. You know, it, yeah. it did refurbish a place that few people visited that was kind of dilapidated. It gave it a new menu, um, a fresh feel, helps improve the entrance of the park. Um, and you've tied it into a corporate franchise to promote the Today Show. And while some will scoff at that and say, oh, you know, Universal's becoming so commercialized, at the end of the day, their strategy allows the parks to remain updated. There's a reason why Universal Studios Florida has only two attractions from opening day. And it's mm -hmm. because of how, even through all its different owners, Universal Parks and Resorts has, you know, focused on if we can get a corporate cross promotion out of it, let's do it. And that's, you know, that's where you're getting a lot of the really cool stuff that's like, like Velocicoaster. A lot of people talk about that was a decision corporate said, we want a new Jurassic World roller coaster. We got this trilogy. We're really wanting to build up on the hype. Um, what kind of Jurassic World attraction can you do here, even though it's Jurassic Park, meaning it themed to Jurassic World? And they worked with that. They took that premise and they ran with it and they did a wonderful job. And of course, corporate brought, brought in the actors to make sure that it all fit together. And so you get, you get that sort of thing. And at Disney, the design process is a lot longer and slower. And I know there's, there's so many jokes about Tron construction, but the only reason Tron isn't open yet is because Disney wants to just save it to have it to promote later. It's like if Disney mm -hmm. wanted to be done with Tron, they could have been done with Tron at this point. Um, and I don't think that you can really say that about anything Universal has done in the past couple of years. In fact, they're usually opening things too early. <laughs> they're not even done with them before they've already, you know, announced an opening date. Whereas Disney's like, you know, presumably Guardians has been testing for months based off the video that we saw. Um, and it's just going to get the footage in and be finalized. Um, and of course, Tron construction has kept the railroad closed for like three years. And yeah. it, it just having Mark, but to, to, to take it all and, and bring it back to Mark, having Mark, a creative person who's been hands on in every creative project of the past 20 years at Universal be the CEO is going to be such a wonderful move to compete with Disney, who's got somebody from retail who's never done a creative thing in his life. Yeah, and going back to the Legends panel, talking about Spider-Man, and I'm thinking also our Horror Nights episode, and Tom, Tom Williams and Mark Woodbury, how this is, it kind of feels like the start of a new era for, I mean, Universal's gone through a lot of eras, but uh, in, in this deadline article that I'll put in the show notes that kind of goes over, not really the press release, but just kind of the general announcement where I got a lot of this background information. Uh, Brian Roberts, the chairman and CEO of Comcast, said that Tom Williams' journey has been the journey of Universal Parks itself. His vision and leadership has made parks a vital and vibrant business and has helped define modern theme park entertainment for us and the entire industry. If you hear any story about Universal, uh, it's easy to joke about, but it's also... I'm thinking about that quote from Moneyball where it's hard not to get romantic about baseball. It's hard not to get romantic about the Universal Studios history where the, they, they, they've always had these big ideas for the most part. And it, yeah, it didn't always work. Opening day, we all know what happened opening day. We don't need to go on about it here. And the Legends panel, they talk about how it really was just a scrappy company or a scrappy group of folks trying to figure out 
how to build a theme park. I mean, they did it once, but how do you do it different and do it again and all that jazz and learning things from that. Like one thing they learned was, okay, everything here is going to be a normal attraction. We'll just have an extra element to it. Like Dudley Do-Right, it's just a flume ride. We'll just put a roller coaster track at the, at the end of the drop. It'll go underground. Or Dudley, or not Dudley, uh, Popeye. It's a raft ride, but it's going to have a, a drop and so on and so forth. Uh, the freefall tower, instead of falling, you'll shoot up, things like that. But Spider-Man was the one of a kind thing. And I also think about the beginnings of Halloween Horror Nights. It, the, the way it started was a way to get people to actually come to the park again after that rough opening year. And really it, was, it started out with Julie Zimmerman being handed this, this task, like, you think you can put together a Halloween party for the park? And she's like, yeah, we'll figure something out. And basically created like the Rat Lady, which has become a phenomenon in the Horror Nights community and created the, the whole event really and bill and ted which is beloved uh, bill and ted the the halloween show not the movies but just by like can we do it well, let's try it out okay great we figured it out um and to see how it's evolved into what it has today and these two gentlemen uh being being a part of that of course with tom williams now stepping out having guided it from that scrappy thing to really a real 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 competitor to Disney and something that we prefer in a lot of ways, honestly, uh, to something that's still expanding and now seeing where this new creative guy, I mean, he's not a new creative guy, uh, a long stay creative guy like Mark Woodbury, what he'll bring in the same role that Tom Williams did. Uh, it'll be interesting to see and I'm looking forward to it. And I think there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, and also like, you'll want to go in and look up the history of Universal Parks. There's not like one good resource for it, but uh, I guess one place to check would be the unofficial Halloween Horror Nights guide. I think I've got the name wrong, um, but it's written by Christopher Ripley. It's a book on the the making of that exhibition theme park, theme park history, all these history theme park YouTube channels. It's really an interesting story to see how this thing has grown. I never knew Tom Williams was a part of it, but now that I do know that, I think it's really, really fascinating. And all that jazz... Absolutely. If I had to recommend one resource, this book is a little outdated, you know, because it ended or it was it was published in 2014. But Universal Orlando, The Unofficial Story by Nick Sim um, Mm -hmm. is a book that I greatly enjoyed reading um, in my middle school years. I had it on my Kindle Fire SD. It was the original Kindle Fire, did not even have a high definition screen. Wow. But I just remember really enjoying that book. Yeah, um, I do have the right title for the Christopher Ripley book, by the way, now, because I can see it. Uh, Halloween Horror Nights Unofficial, The Story and Guide. Um, it's definitely worth the read for the information alone. Awesome. So to conclude that, very excited for where Mark Woodberg takes things. And, you know, Adam and I will be there for Universal's Epic Universe grand opening. Surely we'll, we'll fly out. We'll, you know be there on the side out i guess we don't know what the future will bring maybe we'll be living in canada uh, <laughs> i expect to still be here but yeah, I also, I'll, I'll definitely take work off for that even if nothing works i think it'll be quite the experience i also expect <laughs> to still be here but you know some something about five i guess what is it 2025 is when it's going to open 2024 I, I think that's projected date feels so far away it's going to come but it so feels fast, so close so. at the same time i can almost taste it I have no idea what I'm tasting, but it's it seems scrumptious. Oh yeah. Anyway, let's go on before I make more bad food analogies. <laughs>
fatty fruit, fruit, fatty fruit, fruit, fatty fatty fruit. I simply have to tell you that my friends who are singing are delectable. <laughs> Meals are divine as long as you can dine with fruit and vegetables. <laughs> They're good for you, everyone. They make your meals a lot of fun. So we mentioned earlier IAPA, we mostly mentioned it in the context of the Spider-Man panel and a few other things, but a lot of interesting things came out there. Um, Seth Kaberski, talked about him again. Honestly, just follow him on Twitter. Uh, follow him wherever you will. He's, he's awesome. Uh, also in Orlando Weekly, he did a nice little rundown of some of the lesser known things. Uh, one of the bigger ticket items from there, I guess to say, was Legoland Florida uh, has unveiled the new Peppa Pig theme park, some new details about that. The balloon ride is going to be accessible for wheelchairs. And it's now a certified autism center, which is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, along those same lines, Give Kids the World Village will uh, be given an animaker space where the families there can learn about designing and programming audio animatronics. I'm quoting from the article uh, from the company that makes Disney's robotic characters. That's some pretty exciting stuff to uh, kind of make the whole theme park experience more accessible to folks who would have a harder time, I guess, experiencing it. And Jonathan, whenever, if you ever have a thought, just jump in. Okay. There's some other kind of funny ones, like uh, there's a Dogecoin coaster. We'll see where, how, see how far that gets off the showroom floor. Uh, the <laughs> idea of it apparently was it'll go up and down, rise and fall. It's virtual, by the way. They're not building the track in real time. They're virtually building the track in real time, I suppose. It's a simulator, and it goes up and down with the price of Doge. Nice novelty. I don't know what theme park would buy it. I don't know what amusement park would buy it. I, I know what amusement park would buy it. Don't say Six Flags. No, I was going to say Fun Spot. <laughs> I would, maybe, maybe. Although, speaking of Fun Spot, they uh, have a new thing coming out, but not in Orlando, or not in, in Florida. Over in Atlanta, they're building a new roller coaster over there that is going to be built by Rocky Mountain Construction. It's called Airy Force One. So it's not going to be on iDrive. It's going to be in Atlanta. They got a new thing coming out. Yeah, you know, to, to kind of bounce off of that, FunSpot has done a really good job of splitting investment between their parks on a pretty regular basis. I think... Um, I think when they bought the Atlanta location, a lot of people were confused because it was kind of like, you know, this is literally just a mini golf course and a go-kart track and a fun center, like an arcade. That was like, basically, it was like very much more of a family fun center um, than a theme park. So the fact that this park with no roller coasters, hardly any rides is getting one of the biggest RMCs ever built um, is kind of a testament to how Fun Spot works. You know, they have their three parks and they make, a lot of money off of small stuff, you know, arcades, you know, obviously ride admission, go-karts. Um, and then they reinvest it every couple years into something big. Um, and then in the in-between years, they do super small stuff. Like I know Fun Spot Orlando got a new flat this year. Um, Fun Spot Kissimmee got a new, I think, relocated uh, kind of off-the-shelf coaster two years ago. But now when it's time for their big capital investment, multi-million dollar coaster, it's going to the park that needs it the most. And I think that's really cool. Like even stuff like after Fun Spot Orlando opened, you got the Mind Blower open at Kissimmee, which was a pretty big coaster. 
Um, and now it's Atlantis' turn. So I think honestly, Funspot could very easily become a, a local chain across America. I think it might. It's going to take some time because they're not growing super fast. Mm-hmm. But depending on how they do it, they have a lot of potential because, especially in Orlando, the reason why they work is because a they're less expensive, so they appeal to um, a lot of the lower income crowd who can't afford the big parks by providing a similar experience, but also they're open later. Um, and that's a huge deal in Orlando where the nightlife, especially on I drive is a really big thing. So it's like, Hey, I just got done with my day at Disney, which closed at seven or eight fun spots open till midnight. Um, or, you know, one or 2 AM let's go there and hang out and grab some food, get some night rides on white lightning or, uh, mind blower, do some go-karts, have a have a fun time. And so it really has become a kind of a hub of nightlife and that's how it thrives, which I think is a really smart strategy in, uh, in a market where all the theme parks like to close early. Yeah, uh, I think you'd like this because this, this sounds almost like Turtle Trek to me, which I know is one of your, or was one of your favorite attractions. It's in such a dilapidated state these days. But I did get to see it in its prime with you. So I'm, I'm happy for that because I, I got to experience Jonathan and his element. Emotion, who created the Undersea Explorer experience at Icon Park's Sea Life Orlando Aquarium, they are making 360-degree wildlife documentaries. And apparently the reception of that for uh, Seth was pretty positive. There's some main, uh, he called it blocking coding artifacts was still going on with that. But other than that, is pretty uh, interesting. And speaking of VR, AR, apparently Steamroller Studios has done a um, augmented reality haunt. And uh, the, the reception of that, it sounds really uh, interesting. I'll read from the article here. Uh, Visitors to the haunting of Olivia entered a Victorian sitting room and were strapped into a motion simulating couch and used handheld augmented reality screens to hunt digital ghosts that caused physical objects to fly off the walls. And he, he mentions that Universal did something similar to this at Horror Nights. Um, I, I believe he's referring to the repository plus like uh, extra, extra charge experience they did a couple years back for Legendary Truth, uh, that, that part of Horror Nights. But this apparently blows it out of the water. I don't know too much else about it aside from the experience was pretty immersive and pretty great. And it, it is that plus one. It's not just staring at a VR screen. It's super immersive. There's there's an added value is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that, that gets a major yikes from me. I will not be there for it. But you know. what, if, what, if you, what if you get to go for free? Like say for whatever reason, Steamroller Studios finds our Galaxy's Edge series. And like, you know, these cats, they, they got something. We, we, we want them to experience this firsthand. And they said, Jonathan, Adam, you can experience this new thing we got for free. If you give your honest opinion, you'd say yeah to that, right? I'd, I'd let you do the episode and bring on a guest to talk about it. Uh, one of these days, I'll get you so addicted to these haunts. I promise <laughs> you, it'll happen one day. <laughs> oh, man. So those are some highlights from IAPA. At the end of IAPA, Disney kind of gave a little tease to D23. The destination D23, rather, not the full thing. And I can't keep track of all these events. There's like 300. It's like seems like every two months Disney's hosting a fan event. I don't even know. 
I know. Disney Plus Day, Destination D23, D23, Star Wars Celebration, Investor Day. So many things. So many things. From what I heard, it was kind of, I mean, obviously I've got some articles here, but the reception I heard was kind of underwhelming, like some of the things we'll talk about later on. Fantasmic is getting a change. Finding Nemo the Musical is getting a change. Uh, yeah, I know they're, they're removing your favorite scene from Fantasmic, the Pocahontas scene. How do you feel about that? Well, there's two things wrong with that statement. One is the obvious one, the one that you're kind of poking at. I hate the Pocahontas movie. I think it's probably the worst Disney movie that I can think of, uh, just because it, it was so... Oh, uh, say what you will about uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. That was not his best moment. That was that was crap. <laughs> trying to turn trying to turn the story of, of of Pocahontas and forgive me, I don't remember her actual name, but yeah, turning that into basically trying to get that Beauty and the Beast crowd over, you know, that romance, make it a romance, and just make it's awful. It's awful. I know that's what you're trying to get me to to go off on. <laughs> I did. I, I gave you a little. I've actually never done Phantasmic though. That's like. That's my big blind spot as far as nighttime shows go. I know you're not hot about it, but I, I, there, uh, Bella, I, I don't know if y'all remember Bella from episode four. She was on our Horror Night show, but I know she's very excited about the return of Fantasmic. Uh, they're losing the Pocahontas scene. We don't know what the new scene's going to be. I think they're getting, yeah, no, no, they never announced the Pocahontas scene is going away. That's the rumor though, because there is that new scene coming in, uh, which we don't know anything about. Yeah. But I'm excited that the show's reopening because that means there's a chance for me to experience it for the very first time. To this day, the only nighttime show that I can say would actively deter me from going to just ride rides with short waits is Happily Ever After. Phantasmic is awful. It's a separate theater. You have to go 30 miles away. You sit on concrete slabs. You are trying to be upsold popcorn and and lighty things to keep the kids busy while you wait for 30 minutes because you have to get there 30 minutes in advance to even get a seat. And then the show is just incredibly underwhelming. The water screens are blurry and haven't been updated since the 90s. You know, this the whole show just feels outdated and rough. So I'm glad that it's getting the love that it needs. Um, and I will still be riding other attractions <laughs> while it plays. <laughs> Okay, Jonathan, you can marathon Star Tours. I'll go watch Fantasmic's Big Return. All right. But will you be there for the new Finding Nemo musical show? They did change the name to Finding Nemo, the big, the blue, and beyond. And it's a reimagining, they're calling it. Not necessarily a replacement, it's a reimagining. Little story retool. Apparently, it's in the Finding Dory timeline. Whatever that's not that a means. Story retool. That's a completely new story. <laughs> well, here, here's here's my thing. I my theory because again, they told us nothing. It's like what they told us. What's new with Tron? We're building it. That's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> with Finding it, my theory is that the whole it's in the Finding Dory timeline isn't they retelling Finding Dory? Is that that's going to be the frame narrative. The frame narrative is going to be at the Marine Life Institute. I believe it's, it's, I haven't seen the movie since it was in theaters. It was good. I just haven't seen it since. I think that's what it's called though. We'll start out there and Marlon will be like, oh yeah, remember that time I lost Nemo? And Dory's like, huh, I remember. And, Dory uh, suddenly became Mickey Mouse. I guess Ellen sounds like Mickey Mouse to me. I don't know. Um, 
but then it'll go on basically the normal show. They still got some of the same songs. I don't know, but Jonathan, I'm prepared. What... I'm prepared. You, you don't even have to ask. I, I'm just going to cut you off and say I'm prepared for this to be an absolute dumpster fire. Given Disney's cost-cutting measures, the fact that they don't want to pay the actors to come back and they're they're shortening the show to make it cheaper and you know you know you you had finding Nemo the musical you brought in the lopez robert lopez to come write songs and you had these fantastic puppets and my guess is this is just going to be this is going to be hampered because the theme park audience apparently can't handle a 30 minute long show that's just too long of a production um but yeah, this, this this show was always it was it was near and dear to my heart. I think as far as theme park musicals go, it could only be uh, competed with by Universal's seasonal Grinchmas Holiday Spectacular, um, which was the only thing able to match the level of live singing, um, elaborate sets, and even then, you know, Grinchmas can only do so much. And, you know, Nemo's got those incredible puppets and acrobatics and everything else, but. I'm I'm just disappointed. I'll I'll see it. I'll see it. But yeah, I'll see it. Unlike I won't see Fantasmic. But I'm I'm just not happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I I have higher hopes. I think I. But also, I I have nothing to go off of. I know it's probably bad news to trust that Disney's going to make the right decisions at this current state that it's in but i mean festival of the lion king came back i don't believe they had major changes and that's an incredible show i i know i know a lot of things have been cut down to what they should be uh, my my guess though is that it's going to be a minimal change which is why they're using the word reimagining i think it's really just the frame but i have no, again nothing to go off of um, yeah that's but the songs will still be there you'll still i i know you'll still be like in the big blue world and absolutely and i they have to keep going with the flow right yeah go with the flow is iconic yeah Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout um, got an update. James Gunn has finished filming it. All the original cast is back, including Glenn Close. Wait a minute, Jonathan. Jonathan. Uh-oh. What? What? Wrong Guardians ride. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Cosmic Rewind. I said Mission Breakout. It's not his fault, folks. It's not his fault. I just put Guardians of the Galaxy in there. Uh, No, I... I yeah, I, I am very... I also told him Botanicus was spelled with two c's this morning we're filming this on spider monday when we put out our et episode <laughs> it, it's been a mess for me with my unclear notes so don't send your hate mail to jonathan no send it no to it, banshee it's it's cosmic rewind um the biggest thing that i am excited about is not the fact that it's an original attraction at disney world that's not a clone it's not the fact that james gunn is actually involved in all the original cast is reprising their roles even though Dave Bautista is upset at Disney. You know, those are all good things, but you know, or not even the fact that it's actually opening in next year. Like, 
within the next seven months, probably. The thing that I was most happy about was that Disney released an official HD high-res poster, and it looks absolutely epic. (laughs) I love it when theme park attractions get posters, and my heart absolutely soared to see that there was a official poster for this attraction that looked straight out of the movie theater. And yeah, that's, that's, I was, I was just happy. I, it brought me joy. Yeah. That's going to be the thumbnail for this, this video, isn't it? It might be. I don't know. Oh, stay tuned. I mean, by this point, you've been staring at it for 40 minutes, I'm sure folks, but for us, it's a big mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm excited to ride this roller coaster. Glenn Close is coming back, which means she's not dead in the movie because that that planet got blown up i believe in guardians of the galaxy volume 2 another movie i haven't seen since it's been out in theaters so i'm very behind on things i'll get to it again in 2022 i am sure yeah uh, it's a new ride at epcot which could always use some tender love and care it'll be a thrill ride for epcot i know some purists don't love that uh but you know (laughs) it fits in because peter quill went to the universe of energy as a child i remember I remember in that theme park design book by, I think it was Steve Alcorn, and he was really upset about the idea of a roller coaster in Epcot. So I think this is really funny. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I lied. It's not a roller coaster. That's not the term they're using. And so his his uh, his uh, fears shall be quelled. This isn't a roller coaster, Jonathan. It's a story coaster. Oh, right, right. That's right. They got to compete because Universal's got those billboards all throughout Orlando that say, Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, most thrilling story coaster, which mm-hmm. is an absolutely hilarious marketing technique to go with for branding. And honestly, that probably says something about the guest surveys because Adam and I got a survey for Velocicoaster when we were done. They're asking us which of the ride's aspects we thought were the strongest and which were the weakest and to rate them, which presumably is used for marketing. So my guess is that they probably did the guest surveys for Hagrid's and the guest response to the fact that it had a story was overwhelmingly positive and presumably one of the ride's biggest selling points. So the fact that it was thrilling and that it was it told a story. Because I know with Velocicoaster, all the ads say two launches, four inversions, and those are the two things that they're advertising. So presumably the launches and the inversions were to the, to the test audiences and to us the most notable aspects of the ride, which is just as, as somebody who's done marketing um, as a job, it, it interests me. <laughs> <laughs> no, go into the nerdiness. We don't want to be some <laughs> some normal, you know, two white guys with a microphone theme park podcast. <laughs> this is what sets us apart. Jonathan did marketing jobs, and I have an annual pass, so it all evens out. <laughs> and to close out our little rundown, and of course, this is not everything. Make sure you check the articles and the show notes, the links in the show notes for all the information out there. Uh, And I'd also suggest uh, Orlando Park Stop. They have theme park journalist professionals running down everything there in more detail. I'll put the link there as well. There's going to be so many links to these show notes. I think our our audience is going to be really, really um, satisfied with that. Oh, yeah. I was going to use another food food analogy, and it, it wasn't coming. All the same. Uh, prepare to be whelmed. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser as more information and more clips and uh, kids are going to love it. That I have no doubt. Yeah, there's there's a lot to say and there's not a lot of nice things to say. Um, 
the 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 fact of the matter is it's good yeah it's not what people want yeah it's not what you would expect when paying the price that disney is asking to pay for sure and i think it's also very confused as to its audience and i feel like we saw this with the nba experience where it was designed as an experience to be very appealing to people who were into the nba but the experience itself was structured as though a person was new to basketball in the nba with very kind of low low level experiences like dribble a ball shoot the hoops make three hoops and then giving them some sort of trading card with like a player that they would have to know like I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but that was the vibe that I got from all of the reviews. Um, and I feel like this is going to be the exact same thing. You're going to have these kids. All they want to do is just see Ray and Kylo and Chewie because they grew up on the sequel trilogy. And this that's not going to happen here. No, you're going to get new characters. I don't imagine happening. Maybe that's something they haven't revealed yet. I can't imagine that happening on, on this experience, though. No, absolutely not um and it's it just seems like it's gonna be incredibly difficult and i think it's ultimately it comes down to the fact that it's a huge problem you have to design for the lowest common denominator you have to design this for the guest who doesn't want to larp who doesn't want to get involved in the story and who just kind of wants to watch but you also have to design it for the people who want to get active i mean I think that's that's a huge problem is when you do things that need volunteers and active participation, it's always going to be harder to design those things because then you introduce a level of awkwardness if people don't want to do it yeah. um, or if something happens. And then you're also dealing with the fact that because this is like a cruise, you want to make sure that the experience is good for every family who's there. Combine that with the fact that we learned that there's apparently other upcharge experiences during the cruise the fact that you won't actually get to hold the real lightsaber that Disney has been proclaiming around, but it will instead likely be part of a show scene or a show element um, and not something that you can interact with. And the fact that people didn't really like what Disney did with Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run in pursuit of interactivity, which appears to be what they're expanding upon here. You know, I don't think that this is going to last more and you know i might be wrong i don't think it's going to last more than 12 months the whole experience you think it'll be closed in a year absolutely oh ooh, wow that's 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 wow okay it's booked up now but i don't think the rich people are going to want to want to going to want to do that they're just going to want to stay at the not one of the nicer hotels that's on the monorail line to the kingdom yeah I remember seeing that video with Josh tomorrow and he's got the lightsaber in his hands and the flashlight just pops in through those smoke holes. And I was like, kind of like, Oh, Oh, that's what it is. And you could say, well, the camera's not capturing it the right way or he's not doing it right. It'll look better in real life still like that. Just seeing, and I don't know what they could do. And here's the thing. I think they're doing as much as they can do to try to immerse it and doing what you said to try to appeal to everyone. Um, and, and with that, that game that they've been advertising on the deck where you can do the uh, combat flight training, something like that, where you push the button, basically you do Millennium yeah. Falcon Smuggler's Run, but on a, on a single screen uh, in, in one position, not like 
how it is and, and smugglers. It doesn't look like it's $2,000, but I don't know. It's, it's weird. I was thinking about this earlier and um, with, with Universal and Harry Potter. Now I'm not going to bring you up Universal this time with, with Pandora. We'll, we'll say in Disney with Pandora, there was like no expectation. Hold on. Hi. Oh, cool. Your Christmas gift came in. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I won't bring up Universal again. We'll stay in the same Disney family uh, with Pandora, the world of Avatar. Expectations were so low for that because Avatar, most, not most, but a lot of people will be like, yeah, I saw Avatar in theaters. Saw it in 3D, saw it in, I think it might have been IMAX. I don't know what was out at the time, but at least 3D, people were just like, minds were blown, super immersive, loved it. And then when it came out on Blu-ray and over time, people kind of grew a little bit sour towards it. They didn't love it as much. So when Disney's like, hey, we bought the rights to make Avatar Land, people like, but but why? Why is this happening? Expectations were through the floor, even though Joe Rody was a part of it. You never know how things are going to be. And now I think it is, it's my most beloved theme park land, period. I love it so much. And a lot of people have emotional, spiritual experiences there. And not like, you know, weird, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the word is, but it's not like, I don't know. Not everyone's doing the, the religion of Navi is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's yeah. not that kind of spiritual experience. It's just like a transcendental experience on like flight of passage or they really love the calming atmosphere of that entire land whereas with star wars we've been with that and we have loved it for gosh 45 years at this point our imaginations have been filled with star wars when we think about our star wars story our star wars adventure we have these kind of preconceived notions of what that could entail and when you say hey we're gonna have a star wars land your mind just explodes with possibilities and when you see those possibilities kind of narrowed down to what is in Galaxy's Edge, which is still a great land. And every time Scott Trowbridge talks about Star Wars lands or Star Wars experiences at Disney World, I can't help but get excited because that man just has such quiet but energized passion for what he does. It, there is a sense of underwhelm, I think. Like, I love Galaxy's Edge. I think it's great. We did a whole series about it on this channel, which you can watch. Click the card above if you're on YouTube. All the same, people are like, well, it should have had this thing, or it shouldn't have been. It should have been less exclusive. These experiences. Uh, why is the food not normal? Why? Why is the Millennium Falcon this? Why is the Rise of the Resistance uh, that? Why is there no Wampa? So on and so forth. And with Galactic Star Cruiser, I think we're running into a similar case, but with a higher price tag, where it's like Star Wars Hotel. Your mind blows up with uh, the possibilities, and Disney has the hard choice of fulfilling that promise of whatever you imagined but the thing is everyone's got an idea of what that could be like the larping but i'll tell you one thing the most interesting thing to me and the thing i want to do least at star wars galaxy's edge is pretend to be part of the story like i get anxious whenever the first order troopers like so tell me what you think of the rebellion give us all your secrets why do you look stupid? I'm like, I, uh, uh, and then I come up with a good, you know, retort like two minutes later in the interrogation room. I said, oh, I should have said, I thought this was Star Tours. Uh, stupid, stupid. I just said, I have a hat. Like, you know, <laughs> so I know if I paid $2,000 to do the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, that would be me for two days and that wouldn't be a great time. Yeah. Um, so like having the training module, having these 
training situations, having that cantina with such a generic song. Oh my Lord. Uh, I don't know if you saw that clip. <laughs> I saw the clip. <laughs> uh, and I, I guess if you translate the Star Wars songs, they'd be generic, but that was, that was generic in the way Disney songs at the parks are. Um, I, I do think to kind of bounce off what you're saying though, there is an element that I'm looking forward to in the sense that part of what they're trying to do with Galaxy's Edge, they couldn't do because you're never going to get that sensation yeah in what that land is um and that is just the idea of i'm wandering through a star wars town and kind of getting to explore like being able to just walk into oga's cantina without having to make reservations 30 days in advance on your phone only to get shoved in with another family or you know without a chair exactly exactly (laughs) and you know, $100 for a lightsaber and $80 for a droid and so many upcharges. So maybe, maybe the meals will be better at, at the hotel, you know, maybe you'll actually get yeah. to enjoy the food and the atmosphere and the setting um, in that kind of exclusive environment. But then, you know, I look at the itinerary and it's like, oh, we got learn how to play Sabacc for two hours and oh, a Sabacc tournament. We and play then- Sabacc at home. That's like a family <laughs> pastime. <laughs> exactly. And I'm being serious. It's not a joke. Like my brother has a Zabak game and we played it for weeks, you know, when he got it. Like, so what value is that going to add to you? And in one sense, you know, it kind of reminds me of like a family reunion. Like I know when I have family, (laughs) I go to them and it's like at the beginning of the week, I learned how to play a game. And then that's just the game everybody's playing throughout the trip. Maybe they're trying to build that sense of camaraderie and make the family's friends. But that's the thing is you can't predict all that. And it's going to make it really interesting. And I promise this this will be the last time I try to tie something into Universal. Oh, you're but, you're gonna do the dirty naughty thing? I see. Ooh, yeah, bad yeah, boy. Yeah. I, I, with Wizarding World, uh, Diagon Alley, you know, one of the things that you want is you want to be able to have that intimate wand experience that Harry had in the first movie, and so, you know, they they did it in Hogsmeade and it was fine, but it was way too small. But when they did it in Diagon Alley they were able to balance the demand for such an experience without losing the intimacy or the quietness. Like it's, you know, when you go into that show, it's very quiet and everybody's kind of watching pensively and it's dark and there's musical chimes. And, you know, apparently you get something like that in Savi's workshop with the lightsaber lighting up and apparently Yoda makes a voice cameo, but like. Ollivanders is free. Exactly. You have to buy the wand, but the experience is free. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, that's part of where universal has been succeeding is you know giving you taking a look at what is the franchise what do people want from the franchise and how do we give that to the people with the glaring exception of fast and furious supercharged of course (laughs) but i guess terry agrees with you (laughs) yeah but i mean like even like jimmy fallon like what more could you want from that ride than a series of of cheesy jokes while you drive through New York. I mean, I feel like it's very much in line with what you would expect from turning the tonight show into a ride. Yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, going back to the star cruiser, I think it's going to have the issue of matching up the expectations. And as much as marketing is trying, people's expectations keep on getting lower and lower and lower and lower to the point Jenny Nicholson's like, if, if they're just not showing us the best parts, this is not going to be a great time for a lot of people. Maybe that's what it's going to be. I don't know if I have the dismal forecast that you do, 
as far as how long this is going to last. Although Defunctland even said, I can't wait for future me to make this video in five years. <laughs> it'll, it'll be interesting, at least. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, that's been our rundown of the past couple of weeks of announcements. We had a two-part episode, so we kind of took a week break on recording, so we did not get this episode out when all that was brand new and fresh but we hope you enjoyed it anyway i apologize for my negativity in this episode <laughs> i feel like i was very debbie downer <laughs> well no you really hyped up mark woodbury i did like I you did. really puffed him up again check our show notes for even more information uh because we only touched on a little bit we didn't have all the time in the world but we hope you enjoyed it all the same let us know what you think in the youtube comments about disney genie uh have you seen the defunct land fast pass episode Hype it up, tell your friends, tell your family, even if they don't like theme parks, because you know what everyone hates? Lines. And so they'll really want to know why they hate it. Uh, Mark Woodbury, I think I said already, the new changes coming to Disney, Guardians of the Galaxy, Galactic Star Cruiser. Anyway, let us know what you think. Uh, Spotify Mobile, let us know what you think in the YouTube comments. Let us know on Twitter. Jonathan, where can they find you on Twitter? At Wesley, as you wish. And you can find me on Twitter at AdamJ underscore film. And collectively, you can follow us at WorkshopTP. And I really suggest you follow us on there because we post all the updates on Twitter. We'll post some, I want to post more on Instagram. I just haven't figured out to do the thing I want to do on there yet. But when I figure out the thing I want to do, boy, it's going to be worth it to follow us on Instagram at Theme Park Workshop. And I guess we didn't have time for Banshee. Sorry, Banshee. But you can follow our little uh, miscreant, Balthazar Banshee, at Busy Banshee on Twitter if you really like that theme park signature snark. All oh, right. One more thing. Thank you, patrons Chandler DeRocher and Landon Kenoki. All right. And that concludes our episode of Theme Park Workshop for the week. This has been episode seven. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you next time. This episode has been produced by Adam Johnson and co created by Jonathan Edward. 